When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Hello and welcome to the Analyst Inside Cricket at a Damp Lord. Simon Mann's back from his holidays in the south of France. Look what you brought us. Disgusting weather. Listen, I didn't see any of this. Two and a half weeks of unbroken sunshine, well, apart from one thunderstorm. Could do with that sort of weather today. Um, Really frustrating, but we all knew. Amazing the weather forecast these days, aren't they? We saw at at least two days ago, categorically, no play on Wednesday, and that's what's transpired. And even with the incredible drainage that Lords now has... You know, where at one point uh, I mistakenly advised you that we might start play at 2.33 o'clock because there was a little gap in the weather, the ground staff had the covers off, they had the drying machines out, and the thing looked perfectly playable. And suddenly the heavens opened again, so obviously the, the, the plans were scuppered. But the drainage here is so good. Do you know, I, I, I remember being a test match here about four or five years ago. I think it was against the West Indies, and I was doing something in the real tennis court, which is out the back of the pavilion, uh, just meeting some friends, and the, the, because it was raining. And there was basically, by the time I came out of the real tennis courts, the road behind the pavilion was a river. It really was. I mean, it's absolutely torrents washing down, like a sort of mini tsunami washing out the back of the pavilion. Within 45 minutes, we were playing again yeah. because uh, the water just seeps through. And in a way, the drainage that they have here, which is obviously fantastic for getting play back on, is the reason why there's been less favourable pitches, perhaps, at Lords over the last year or two, because they just can't keep the water in the pitch anymore. The remarkable thing was, when they put the drainage in initially, the pitches were really flat and superb for batting, weren't they? But gradually, over time, it seems, that you know that's not been the case, and it, it's become much harder to bat here, yeah, and, I, I, and the yes. bowlers are, are favoured now. And, and it doesn't come on to the bat quite as well. In fact, I, I chatted to Carl McDermott, the new head groundsman here at Lords, a couple of days ago, about the there's nuances really of being a groundsman at Lords and of course the slope 
meaning that if you do actually try, you, you need to get moisture in a pitch to get it hard and get it true. Because yeah. if you don't get enough moisture in, you can't do the rolling, the grass doesn't grow as well, and you don't get that rich texture of, of, of the top surface. And because of the slope, you actually put loads of water on it, it just all runs yeah. off. And in the past, that hasn't mattered so much because the water still stayed roughly just below the surface because of the old drainage, but the new drainage, it just just absolutely goes through like sand. So it's very hard. What Carl said is it's just very hard to keep the, a right amount of moisture in the pitch. So what does that mean for this pitch that mm. we're going to get for this test match? I mean, one, one thing I would say is just because we've lost today's play doesn't mean to say we're not going to get an outright result in the game. I mean, it, it, it might be odds against because there's a bit more poor weather to come according to the forecast. Yeah. So, you know, an even more, sorry, an even more truncated game. But, you know, it's still perfectly possible to get a game here done in four days. Well, there was one here that lasted only two days in a session. Yeah. You know, a couple, Ireland, of, couple yeah. of weeks ago. Mm. So, just because we lost a day doesn't mean to say that's it as far as the results concerned. What, what about the pitch? What sort of pitch are we going to be expecting? I tell you what sort of pitch we're going to be expecting. It's going to be damp on top and dry underneath because that's kind of what it what it will be under covers for a day and a half. It will generate a little bit of moisture. The grass will grow a tiny bit. And it'll be dry underneath because it, it always is dry underneath. Yeah. Now, even during the World Cup, when they tried to leave a lot of grass on the pitch, it was dry underneath and it tended to sort of cut up and spin a bit towards the end. So, bizarrely, we could get a situation where on Saturday, say, or Friday, the third day of the game, having had this sort of monsoon today, it'll actually be like a kind of a desert by Saturday. So what do you want to do then? You're absolutely desperate to win the toss yeah. and hopefully there's some something there for your bowlers. Yeah, yes, but so it will turn at the end. So, But a shorter game might just sort of legislate against the spinner later on? Yeah, uh, possibly. The, the, the last day's forecast Sunday is, is good, so that probably would be the best day for batting, potentially, if there's a lot of interruptions. Right. So, so what's your plan then? If you if you yeah, you've got to you, you've got you've got to bowl, bowl first. Bowl first. Hope you roll the opposition out yeah. for a hundred and fifty. Totally. Stack up a decent score. And try and make it a, almost like a three innings game. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You obviously had that kind of classic holiday where you took your family away for some lovely time in the south of France, and you, it sounds like you spent most of the time watching the Ashes. I, I, what sort of holiday maker are you? I did. I watched two test matches. I watched the Ireland game, which is actually good for the holiday, because it only lasted for two days in a session. That, that went down reasonably well, especially that quick denouement for, for Ireland on, the, on that third day. But, I mean, I'm afraid that the, the, the first Ashes test rather took more time up than we anticipated. Um, so the phrase for you is, you can take man out of the cricket, <laughs> but you can't take cricket yeah. out of the man. Unfortunately, yeah, there were, there were a few uh, adverse comments from uh, those around me, uh, notably my wife. But I mean, what about the French, though? Do they? I mean, if you've got a, a hotel person or I don't know, a person no. dropping off your groceries or something. No, or, no, I don't. I don't, no, I, no only, you you, have, only you have someone you dropping have off cooks. your groceries. You don't have cooks on your holiday. No, only you have someone dropping off your groceries. I, I actually go to the supermarket <laughs> to buy them myself. Oh um, God! But, Feeling the knife in my yeah. back there, or in my front, actually. It was a fantastic. I thought it was a fantastic test match. I'm gripping for for three days. Um, you know, England were playing with ten men for for five days. I think that definitely skewed the match. I mean, Justin Langer mentioned it, didn't he? His, his sort of pre-match uh, comments before Lords. Um, and you know, it's a massive. But if you take a Nathan Lyon out of Australia's team, mm. or you know, if Nathan Lyon had pulled a hamstring ten minutes into the Edgbaston Test match, then that would have had a massive bearing on the game. So, ditto, James Anderson. I know there's you know a lot of doom and gloom around uh, England. You know, the fact they lost the game heavily by 250 runs, but they were playing with ten people for 
for five days, effectively. I mean, what other sport do you have where you're playing one person down? It doesn't happen in other sports. I mean, they didn't used to have substitutes in football. Now they have three, and sometimes four. You know, all, all, rugby is virtually a different team. Yeah, exactly. Half a team. team comes on. So you know, it, it, I'm not saying there should be a change to cricket, but you know, it does skew a game. I mean, the problem is with cricket, of course, is how do you you know ascertain that someone's definitely got the injury that they they say they have got? Because you know, for tactical reasons, you might want to bring, you know bring someone in. You say, oh yeah, he's got a bit of a problem. I mean, of course, that person, if that person's injured, he can still participate in other ways. I mean, you get a substitute. Well, if it's a bowler, if it's a bowler, you can't. can't. It's a bowler, if it's a bowler, you can't. It's such a crucial, it's such a crucial person in a bowl. You know, your main bowler is injured. Mm. I mean, that, you know. You're not allowed to run anymore either, No, you're you're not. And that does, of course, if you've got a top batsman who pulls a hamstring, then that does restrict the batsman. Of course it does. Yeah. Um, Wouldn't bother Jason Roy, would it? Just... (laughs) Keep bunting it before, but so it has a massive impact on the game, I think. And uh, you know, you can't make excuses afterwards. You know, England were heavily beaten, but mm. you know, it, it just reduced England's chances enormously. They mm. weren't able to keep the pressure on on that first day, nor in Australia's second innings yeah. as well. So. You know what? What do we make of Edgbaston? England were right in that game. They had three winning positions: 122 for eight, yep. 282 for four, and you know, minus 15 for you, three. You were right, no, sorry, <laughs> sitting in France as well. Minus 15 for three. You know, so they they had their opportunities, and I think you know they weren't able to force them home. Anderson's loss was, was huge, had a huge impact on the game. Well played, Australia, but they were only playing against ten yeah. men for five days. That's true. Uh, well, ten and a half men because no, England did no, no, it wasn't. They've got a fielder yeah, okay. and a person who can bat they've got 11 yeah, batsmen but, I know well, I know what you're saying right, 10, and a quarter, yeah. 10 and a quarter men then. well but anyway that's just that's splitting hairs 10, really. 10 and uh, 10 and 1 20th yeah alright it's, it's splitting hairs really you don't rate Jimmy Hansen's batting then. not well not no I don't, you, they, they, Jimmy rates his own batting particularly highly so if Anderson had still been playing I would have still actually given Australia the, the marks for their better bowling attack because they had a bit more pace and they've got Nathan Lyon. Uh, Shane Warne was on TV today saying he could see Nathan Lyon taking 700 test wickets. He could still play for another four or five years. And he does look like he's got so much energy and yeah. he's got so much skill. And he's an orthodox spinner, which is rather nice to see actually as well. And confidence as well. Mm. He, he looks like a cricketer. Yeah, he said totally he, believes in his yeah, game. He said at the start of that last day when he was asked how he felt and the responsibility of bowling England out. He said, oh, it's going to be fun. Yeah. You know, I'm really looking forward to it. You know, as opposed to Moen Ali, yeah. who kind of almost does sort of shrink away from that potential responsibility when he's not confident. I love Moen as a cricketer. He's been fantastic to watch, taking wickets, you know, made runs, made exciting runs, made that brilliant 100 against Sri Lanka at Headingley. But they, they, had to, mm. they had to leave him out. He just looked like a cricketer. Totally devoid of confidence, you know, he, he couldn't get his bowling going. He felt that affects his batting, and the, the failure in the batting affects his bowling. So it's really, mm. it's sad to see. You don't like to see a cricketer that talented, yeah. uh, so low on confidence. Right. But I, I just couldn't see how they could pick him for this Test match. No, no, I agree. And um, the other thing that, that I think was in Australia's favour was that, that they have the bowler of on, the best bowler on both sides for me, Pat Cummins. Mm. I was uh, I was standing behind the nets uh, when Australia practiced on Monday this week. And there's something about Cummings' control and his understanding of what the batsmen like least and his ability round and over the wicket. And this sort of... He just exudes menace, I think. And he was hitting the bat. This is just in practice against his mates, Australia. He was hitting the bat hard and going past the edge. And all the batsmen were struggling against him. And I just think he is... 
someone who he's going to get a lot of wickets yeah. in this series and you felt that he's just given them that, that cutting edge obviously England are hoping with Jofra Archer bringing him in that he's going to respond well to that sort of responsibility and give England a bit more sharpness a bit more penetration but the combination of Cummins and I think Hazelwood I think will be bowl well on this pitch and obviously Siddle nagging away I'm, I don't rate Sir James Pattinson actually. why not I don't know I think there's something about him he, he looks he prances to the wicket a bit like a kind of a ballet <laughs> dancer and he swings a ball from his arm and I know he's got you know he's got his tattoos and he's got his sort of stern look and his few sledges and things but I don't know I just think he's a bit of a charade actually and he does bowl the odd good ball but he doesn't seem to be that consistent he's a bit injury prone I think he's a prima donna oh well there we go what so no no Mitchell starts so far in this season it looks as though Hazelwood is coming in for uh Pattinson for, for Australia. Yeah. No Mitchell Stark mm. so far. Well, saving him up for Old Trafford. Old Trafford. So the fourth test. Yeah. yeah well, even maybe Headingley, actually. He'd be good at Headingley, I reckon. Mm. You know, just a, a, a pitch with a bit less in it. You know, this sort of pitch and the one at Edgebaston, you need English type bowlers who nag it around, nip it around, accurate. Stark gives you too many four balls, ideally, but he'll be definitely a threat somewhere. What do you do as, as far as England's may come? There's sort of rumours that Joe Denley was going to be left out for, for Sam Curran. We understand that's not the case. Denley's going to play. Of course, we didn't get Might to the change. toss, so England haven't named their team yet. Mm. Do you think there's a possibility, when it's a, if it's a shortened game, they might say, well, actually, we'll go Curran instead yeah. of Leach? Or what? do you think, you mentioned it's very dry, do you feel that they'll go... You know they'll stick with Leach because you need a spinner because it is is quite dry and if yeah. you do it's have to bowl easy. last, it's not easy. I mean, what I do know is that Joe Root is a big fan of Sam Curran, mm. uh, just in his ability to change matches and his confidence in his aggressive approach, his positive approach, in his all-round skill, his energy levels, his optimism. I mean, he's an incredibly influential cricketer. So I think if it was me, I would actually play play Sam Curran. He just instead seems to, of Leach, I think I would actually. So play five seamers and no spinner. I think with a shortened game and probably interruptions on uh, Friday and Saturday as well, yeah. I just think you want... A, bat, a player like Curran can change a game in half an hour with bat or ball. I have to say, you know, when I was watching from on my holiday, that, that evening when Curran came out and against Ireland, I think he made 37 off the top of my head, but the, the way he played, he took a chance. Because England were one, you know, 130 ahead and eventually set them 180. And it, the, the difference was Curran, he played with such panache, such confidence. OK, you could say that the shot that got him out was a, you know, not a great one. He'd hold out to deep mid-wicket. But there was, there was something about him as a cricketer. He's only 21. I think he is, for me, he's one of the most interesting young cricketers mm. in, the, in the world. What is he going to become? Is he going to become a he's batsman that bowls? Yeah, more like Is he going to be a genuine I all-rounder? Think, I think is he not going to be quite good enough? I, I don't know. I think height will, will prejudice against yeah. him being a really successful bowler. But I was here for the record-breaking crowd, uh, the, one of the record-breaking crowd the other night here, Middlesex-Surrey, the T20 game. Uh, 28,000 people. It was an amazing atmosphere. And Curran came in in a completely uh, impossible cause, chasing over 200, 211, I think, Surrey needed a win, and they'd lost a couple of early wickets. And uh, it, Middlesex had Toby Roven-Jones, Tom Helm, Stephen Finn, Bowling quick, you know they had a decent attack, mm. and he just put back to ball straight away. He was completely unfazed, uh, uh, undaunted by the challenge, and played some absolutely fantastic shots. Got out in the end, but it just showed the confidence and the ability to. I think he came in number three, yeah. you know, and he he has got presence about him with the bat, definitely. So you know, what watch this space. We should just say, by the way, that tomorrow the first day of this game now because. 
obviously the first day has been washed out, so tomorrow, Thursday, will be the first day, uh, is going to be a special day for, for one man who's spent a lot of his career here from the age of about 14, Andrew Strauss. Uh, of course, the, the ground is turning red, or at least uh, some of it is. The spectators will try and wear red, those who know about it, and the advertising hoardings and various other elements around the ground will be bathed in red to remember Ruth Strauss because it's the Ruth Strauss Foundation Day. It's a sort of launch day for this foundation, which is uh, raising awareness for a rare form of lung cancer. And I thought it would be just interesting to talk to, to Andrew about how the whole idea came about. It stemmed from a conversation with Ruth for probably about a month before she died. Um, you know, we were talking just about uh, I don't know, legacy, kind of, you know, how can we find something positive to come out of this situation? And, you know, I suppose how can we, I suppose, use my platform to to help others going through it? And so Ruth, um, Ruth had to think about it and she just jotted down a few notes on what she thought we should be trying to support. And she was very clear that it was about, you know, on the one hand, um, fighting these rare forms of lung cancer, which there's, you know, not a lot of knowledge there in terms of, um, you know, people associate lung cancer with a, with smoking and actually 10 to 15% of all lung cancers are non-smoking lung cancers. So there was that around understanding them better and, and finding a way of diagnosing them better and treating them better. And then also the... The, the the thing that she was very passionate about was the support element for people who have terminal diagnosis, you know, try, trying to help people, I suppose, do death well and, you know, prepare them and their families for what's to come with the right sort of professional help before they go through it all rather than just waiting for that horrible moment and then trying to sort of pick up the pieces from there she was just magnificent through the whole thing and, and incredibly brave and courageous and i think you know to actually even have the courage to to talk about you know the fact that life is going on for us after she dies and, and that she had to contend with her own mortality and, and still be thinking about well how can this help other people you know it's, it is she was unbelievable just mm. incredible through that mm. um and, you know, now that the foundation has come to life and it's it's got, you know, legs of its own and Thursday is going to be the sort of hopefully the time that it starts to seep into people's consciousness. And, you know, from that in terms of both awareness and funding, we can start doing some really special stuff, hopefully. Players are donating their shirts for the day. Um, o Morgan's uh, World Cup final shirt. Um, we've got loads of... Uh, signed prints of the World Cup winning moment, uh, net with Shane Warne, uh, tennis with Tim Hemmen, like all, all sorts of different things, really. Not a net with you, then? Uh, I, I'm donating a number of different things. Golf, golf with <laughs> Andrew golf, Strauss. Golf, yeah. etc. Yeah, etc, etc. I'll, I'll warn listeners not to bother with a net with you because your bowling is absolutely abysmal. <laughs> What's your throwing yeah. like, though? You, your, are your throwdowns any good? Uh, not really, no. Okay. no. That's why Net Machine Warns a better option than with me. Obviously, you, you played uh, in Sydney when the Sydney Cricket Ground turned pink for Jane McGrath's foundation. Uh, how, how are you going to feel when Lords turns red? 
Well, it's going to be an incredibly emotional day. You know, I mean, we've we've, we've obviously been working towards this moment for a long time now. And, you know, the MCC and the ECB and so many other people throughout the cricketing world are just bent over backwards to make this happen. So, you know, I feel completely humbled by the fact that it's an Ashes Test match and we've got this day on day two of an Ashes Test. Um, And it's going to be, yeah, it's going to be emotional remembering Ruth that you know there's going to be a number of things um you know videos on the big screen and and you know sky doing a big segment so it's going to be a hard day to get through no doubt about it but I also know that Ruth would be incredibly proud of what we've done and incredibly excited about the idea of you know this idea in her head coming to life. It's going to be a special day for me and the family. The boys are going to be there and they've got roles to play as well. I just can't wait. I'm really looking forward to it. So good luck to Andrew Strauss and his family for this fantastic campaign. Uh, You can go to the Ruth Strauss Foundation website and contribute or participate in any way that you like. And it's going to be an amazing experience, actually. Have you got, um, have you got anything red you're going well, to wear? Well, I'm going to have to look through my drawers tonight to see what I've got. I've, yeah. I think I've got an old Bristol City shirt. I don't think I can wear that to Lords, though. Can I? <laughs> I? I actually went to... I don't have much in the way of red, but I went to TK Maxx today to see if I could find a red shirt, and all I could find was a bright red pair of Machino trousers. <laughs> so I decided not to buy those in the end because I just thought people would take the piss, basically. So well, it's, it's no Vaughan, different from normal. No, else. true, actually. But M- Michael Vaughan suggested a Manchester United kit right, okay. actually so so Bristol would, would qualify I suppose yeah yeah, yeah red shirts but I, I, I'll have to look through my drawers and see what I've got but yeah, yeah. it's a, a fantastic or a, you know, deeply sad story uh, yeah it? it's a deeply sad yeah. story and it's great that they're, they're making something of it actually yeah. very much like the, the McGrath yeah. uh, day in Australia for Jay McGrath's foundation which they do in Sydney every year and it turns pink and it's a fantastic thing that everybody buys into everyone feels great about it actually yeah it's been a weird day at Laws, hasn't it, actually? Because it's sort of... Everybody's been behind the stands, but actually it's been quite convivial and lots of conversations going on and old friends meeting. That, in a way, is what the Lords Test is all about. It's, it's the social side as much as it is the playing side, and there's been lots of great conversations. I found one story uh, today. It was told by somebody that... Uh, the MCC have had so many requests for people, members, etc., wanting to scatter their in-laws or relatives' ashes in the gardens, either on the main square or in the gardens at the back. They've had to stop it. They've had to prevent anybody bringing ashes in anymore. But someone's got round it today. I heard someone today brought a pork pie in with his father's ashes hidden inside it and scattered those in the Harris Gardens. So I hope nobody actually picked up a bit of it and net it. Hold on a second. So when you come into the ground, everyone gets searched. You don't, you, people don't search you for people's ashes. Well, apparently do they? they do now. Do they? You, 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 brought, you bring the ashes in in a tin or something. I go, well, what's in that tin then? Right, OK. You know, so you could say it's a bit of sort of covering for your salad, I suppose. Could you? Well, in, well, Sesame seeds. In, in, <laughs> ingenious. I mean, I wouldn't, have, I wouldn't have thought that myself, but there we go. Right, before we leave you... We're actually going to hear from some of your book in a moment, but before we leave you, um, we've had six days of the series. Do you think England are done in this series? Is it too easy, uh, too early to write England off? Well, obviously you can't write them off, but history says, firstly, it's very hard to come back from one down. 
in the Ashes. And secondly, I just think Australia are better. They've focused more. They've got more armoury with the ball. They've got one batsman who is outstanding. We haven't even mentioned Steve Smith today and how to get him out. Uh, hopefully England will come up with a plan before he gets 140. I'm Somebody... hoping he's going to go out for naught because Tuffers has promised to parade down St John's Wood High Street naked if, they, if he gets okay. out for naught. Yeah. Uh, uh, Not because I want to see Tubbs naked, but I just think it would be funny to, be to see him forced into it. Amazing. God, well, that would be the whole... I hope the TV cameras are trained on Tuffers in the TMS box when Smith is on door then, because he might have to start undressing, actually, at the point he's out. Uh, I mean, actually, Smith's only got something like three noughts in his career, so he's probably safe. But uh, I just feel Australia have got more quality, actually, and they've, they've prepared slightly better than England, who were obviously sidetracked by the World Cup. Yeah, and, of course, England have to win the series. Australia only have to draw it to, to retain the Ashes obviously they've come here to win the series but you know you want first and foremost you want to hold on to the Ashes don't you yeah absolutely so uh, that's it for today hopefully uh, the, the weather will be okay more like south of France tomorrow at Lords. Uh, what we thought we'd leave you with today is I mentioned before that I'd written this book uh, Cricket's Greatest Rivalry the history of the Ashes in 12 matches and here's a little extract that I read out from the first time that the Australians ever beat England in a test match in England. It was at the Oval, 1882. It was the test match that created the Ashes. And we joined the action with Australia in their second innings, having engineered themselves a lead of about 75, with four wickets left. At 113 for six, there was controversy. In partnership with Sammy Jones, Murdoch turned the slow-medium steal for a run on the leg side. The throw was wayward, and wicketkeeper Littleton had to move away from the stumps to collect it. He lobbed the ball to W.G. Grace, standing beside the wicket. Jones, who had easily made his ground, now wandered out of it to pat down a divot on the pitch, thinking the ball was dead. Grace, who had an intricate knowledge of the laws of the game, whipped off the bales and appealed. Umpire Bob Toms had no option but to give Jones out. Well, he could have said, ''Is that a warning, Doctor?'' or ''Isn't that appeal a bit hasty?'' But, clearly not being from the school of authority, he said, If you claim it, sir, then out. He denied being this deferential afterwards. People usually do. But out, Jones was. This was a good 94 years before Tony Gregg threw out the West Indian Alvin Kalacharan for wandering out of his ground at the end of the day. WG was a century ahead of his time. This was the first in a fruity list of diplomatic incidents that have spiced up the Ashes contests. The Australian captain Murdoch stood at the crease, steaming, but there was nothing he could do. There was no decision review system. And anyway, Grace was an enormous, imposing and hugely respected personality, practically deified. No one was going to challenge him, so the decision stood. Soon afterwards, Murdoch ran himself out, when Spofforth was bowled, Australia were all out for 122. England needed 85 to win. Time was not a factor. It was 3.15 on the second day, so there was still a possible day and a half left for play, weather permitting. And we joined the match with England chasing 85, slumping in the face of the demon Frederick Spofforth. 70 for 6 soon became 70 for 7, as Maurice Reid was clean-bowled second ball by a vicious Spofforth breakback. The demon had taken six of the seven wickets to fall. The crowd stood in disbelief. Now Billy Barnes walked to the middle. There was still no stud, who was apparently strutting about in the dressing room with a blanket over his head. 
Barnes shuffled past Australia's Tommy Horan on his way to the wicket. By Jove, Barnes, this is an exciting match, Horan chirped. Yes, but you'll win, Barnes replied, barely able to get the resigned words out because his throat was so dry. It was still 15 to win. One spectator was so nervous, he chewed pieces out of his umbrella handle. In the members' stand, people were heard declaring that the suspense would surely spoil their appetite for dinner. One man said, If only they would play with straight bats, they would surely get the runs. His female companion replied, Really? Couldn't you get them some? Barnes, certainly no tail-ender, pushed Spofford for two, and then a fumble by wicketkeeper Blackham allowed three buys. Ten to win. If you happen to be a Edgbaston in 2005 or watching on TV as the Aussies' ninth wicket pair of Warren and Lee edged ever closer to their unlikely target, you'll have had some idea of what the atmosphere was like. It was what the modern player likes to call an arse-twitcher. More drama. Lucas dragged the next ball from Spofforth, the first he had faced from the Demon for ten overs, into his stumps. His vigil was over. It had not been a productive one. From 55 balls faced, he had managed just one single and a streaky-edged four. That's a strike rate of 9.5. In a harsher era, the finger would have been pointed at him afterwards for his limp, inert performance, allowing the Australian bowlers to build intolerable pressure. I mean, 12 maidens in a row? It sounds more like a Jane Austen novel than a test match. But in the 1880s papers, the innings of Mr Lucas, the Mr, in deference to his amateur status, was complimented for his exhibition of superb defence. Now, with the score 75 for 8 and still 10 to win, in came Charles Studd, the man who had already done the double that season. Surely he would be able to shepherd England home? Unfortunately for him and England, Lucas had been out to the last ball of the 54th over, so Studd was the non-striker. He watched helplessly as Barnes was caught off his glove from Boyle's nagging medium pace. The left-arm spinner Ted Peat was England's last man. He had no great pretensions as a batsman, a bit of a Monty Panesar, if truth be told, with a touch of Phil Tufnell Maverick thrown in. His orders were to survive the rest of the over, just three balls, to allow Stud the strike. He squirted his first ball for two past square leg. Spectators tossed their top hats in the air. Eight to win. Questions might have been asked afterwards as to why Stud agreed to the second run. Presumably, he thought Pete had a better chance of holding out at the same end against the medium pace Boyle rather than the demon Spofforth. Pete played and missed at the next ball. There were relieved gasps in the crowd, seven or eight deep cramming round the boundary. He had one more ball to negotiate. He flailed at it. He missed it. It bowled him. Many years later, the poet laureate John Maysfield summed the moment up beautifully. Boyle took the ball, he turned, he ran, he bowled. All England's watching heart was stricken cold. Pete's whirling bat met nothing in its sweep. The ball put all his wickets in a heap. Australia had won by seven runs. It was, of course, England's first defeat at home. They had lost their last eight wickets for 26 and Spofforth had taken seven for 44 from 28 successive overs 
with not so much as a drink or a pee break to give him an extraordinary 14 for 90 from 64 overs in the match. It must be considered one of the finest bowling performances in the history of the game and stood as the best Australian match figures for 90 years. The England batsman had played out 28 maidens of the 55 overs bowled and Charles Studd hadn't faced a single ball. No wonder he deserted cricket soon after and became a missionary. There was a fairly disorderly invasion of the field and Spofforth was chaired off by, one assumes, a bunch of Englishmen. Earl's Court hadn't been taken over by Australians then. The victorious eleven were cheered as neither they nor anyone else had ever been cheered, said the London Standard. Hats and umbrellas were waved in the air and the men were called for in front of the pavilion. Although Englishmen are naturally sorry that our eleven did not win, no one can grudge the Australians their victory. The drama was too much for the heart attack man, who fainted, was carted off into the pavilion with blood coming out of his mouth and was soon pronounced dead. There was tentative conjecture in the England dressing room that Grace's action in running out Jones had galvanised Australia in general and Spofforth in particular. Grace himself remained unrepentant. Well, well, he said, I left six men to get 30-odd runs and they couldn't do it. As usual, he had a point. Sports Social Podcast Network.